This Much We Know is a podcast offering an honest and informative perspective of the realities and motivations of setting up a social enterprise. We will be joined by a number of charity leaders and social entrepreneurs whose trading models work to end homelessness. We will be sharing their stories, tips and of course their face palm moments. Hi Simon, how are you doing today? Not too bad, how are you Murphy? Yeah, good, good. Another, good. another podcast, it's exciting. We're doing well, we are doing well. Got some, we've had some great guests on. We have. Who's coming on today with us? We've got Charlie Dorman today from Connection Crew. Charlie, welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. Charlie, we're going to get you to introduce yourself so um, to make sure that the viewers get a, a real <laughs> real good image of, of who you are and what you do and, and what Connection Crew is all about. So over to you. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, I'm one of two directors at Connection Crew. Um, Connection Crew is a social enterprise. We've been going since 2005. Uh, we build events and we employ people, uh, ex-homeless people, to, to do that for us. So 25% of our workforce have had experience of homelessness. Uh, we've employed over 250 people now. We deliver somewhere in the region of 4,000 shows a year. Um, so no... No mean feat, certainly for us. It's quite a complex operation. We do everything from things like Royal Ascot to Edinburgh Fringe to putting Harry Potter in the West End to conferences for big corporates and private parties, anything. If it, if it can be built for an event, we're generally there loading it off a truck and, and getting to grips with it. Um, but we work with a network of about 20 charities across London who refer people into our academy programme and it's through that that we train people and really focusing on work readiness as well is really important for us. And increasingly, we're working with more and more social enterprise and other partners to try and create more opportunities for people that have been homeless in the past. So, yeah, it's been a long, a long and exciting journey. And, and the last two years have certainly been the last 18 months have certainly been a big challenge for us. And we're, we're uh, very much looking forward to getting back into it. Excellent. Yeah, we'll come on to that. So I like your new office that you got there. Is that your studio for recording in? Is it that you're working out of there? <laughs> um, I, I was actually a record producer in a previous life. It's true, but um, no, there won't be any sort of a recording going on here. This is our. So we've just moved into our new offices. Got the keys yesterday. We're really excited. We've moved to Bermondsey, so in our fancy SE1 postcode. So new operational HQ for us for training purposes. We've got a great warehouse space where we can run our employment academy from training people how to build stages, how to rig lights, how to rig sound systems properly, really preparing them properly for the workplace. We don't just put someone in a T-shirt and send them out. Um, so we really spend time on the developments. It's great that we're here. We've got that facility and then our, our new office space above. We were previously based in Brixton. We've, uh, we've moved to Bermondsey, streamlined the business. It's been a tough 18 months, but we're really looking forward to getting back into it and uh, very excited to have the keys and knocking walls down and making a mess and building new stuff today. So I'm completely covered in building dust and, you know, a bit of a mess, but I, I love being on the tools, so it's great. No, it's brilliant. No, great. That sounds really good. And the, um, yeah, for the listeners, Charlie sat in a, it looks like it, what, you, what you're running there, transit fan? I am in a long wheelbase Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. 2014 oh. <laughs> model with a three with a 1.130 brake horsepower engine it's very good it sounds pretty good and you sound like you're on you know your numbers of events and how many you do a year and that sort of stuff where does yeah. this whole where does connection crew start where does it stem from how long have you been running that sort of stuff where where are you at on that journey 
Yeah, I'll try my very best to give you the potted history. If, if anyone's interested, you go to our website and download our 10-year social impact report, which is a, a, docu a document we're really proud of. And that really tells the whole story in all its gory detail and all the lessons we learned and all the things we got wrong. So if anyone's interested, please do go to our website and, and download that and have a, have a read through. But in 2005, we started and we originally were part of a charity called The Connection at St. Martin's which is where we get our name from. And at the time, social enterprise is quite new. I think the community interest company legal model had just been sort of, you know, released or launched in 2005. The charity recognised, like a lot of leading charities, that unless you're providing employment opportunities to people, you're, you're not going to disrupt that cycle of poverty. The end game for Connection at St Martins is getting people into independent living. And that is very difficult to achieve without a job because effectively you're just warehousing someone from one temporary situation to the next. And so what they realize is they're, they're an unusual charity because they do the full range of services. They're a full scope um, support charity. So they do everything from kind of street count and outreach work all the way you know, through the kind of mental health, substance misuse support teams, all the way through into kind of job preparation, TV interviews, or work placement type work. And, and they realized that they were missing the end piece, which was a job. So they also thought, well, hey, you know, social enterprise, we like the sound of that. Well, let's see if we can start one. So they, a guy called Jamie Clark at CSTM met, um, was good friends with a guy called Paul Grecian, who is the chairman of Gallo Glass Group, was uh, probably the largest crewing company on the planet. And they got talking and thought, this will be great. Let's start a crewing company. So Jamie went to Gallo Glass for a month, learnt the ropes. Connection St. Martins got a handful of crew, sent them to Gallo Glass for a month. They trained and sort of learnt the ropes with their teams. And then Gallo Glass actually gave Connection crew, I guess, five clients. They got a box of T-shirts and off they went. And it was an absolute disaster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't work at all. And it was not because of there was any lack of enthusiasm or determination. It was just there was zero experience. You know, and it's really hard. And it got to the point where clients are saying, you know, look, we love what you're doing. We want to support you. We think this is great, but I've got four hours to build this conference and my clients breathing down my neck and your crew don't have no idea how to build this stuff and you're charging me for it. So, you know, about 2006, I started getting involved. I was looking for a community project or a charity to volunteer for. I was producing records and um, production managing sort of gigs and shows. And was doing all right I was picking and choosing my projects a little bit more but I I got to the point where I just don't idle easy and I, I was having sort of gaps between projects because I didn't want to just do everything that came along so I was looking for a project and then um, found Connection Crew Online met Jamie within 30 minutes he had me in the pub and five hours later we were going to take over the world so and <laughs> I never really looked back actually and so it kind of started for me at that point and we went through the 2008 market crash. We lost half of our business overnight. Literally, the portfolio just cut in half. So we doubled the number of clients in a year, and that was brutal and exhausting, and we were just about treading water. And we kind of... The charity, I think, rightly, had concerns about the commercial risks involved. And I think it's important to note at this point that, that social enterprises aren't charities. They're really different creatures. They are businesses. And there's a really cultural fundamental difference between a business and a charity. And that charity is rightly very risk averse. They're trying to protect resources and extend services for the longest period of time to 
support users, right? And then a business is effectively trying to take risks in a market. They're actually trying to calculate and measure risk for return. If you build chairs by hand, you go to the market, you take 10, 10 chairs to sell, you have no idea how many chairs you're going to sell. So you're, you're, you're adding a risk. So I think there was, it just became a bit of, a, the charity was exhausted, it's kind of tolerance of risk. And everyone knew that Connection Crew had to take more risk and really step into the market if it was going to survive. So Jamie handed his notice in and turned up one morning, said, how do you feel about carrying on? And I, I looked at how tired he was. <laughs> I don't want to be in that position. So uh, I was only one person I could think of. And I phoned Warren and said, what do you reckon? And Warren was living the dream in, in the mountains in Italy, producing few big shows in the UK. I'd worked with Warren for years. Um, we had a great working relationship and uh, somehow I convinced him to leave his beautiful house in the mountains and come and work with me in a cupboard in central London with no windows. Um, <laughs> uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. And that was about 2010. And so we've been, the tour has been running and we sort of went, we took it out of the charity as a community interest company. And you know, we are probably, or pre-COVID, we were probably, I think, something like 13 or 14 times the size of an organisation, employing about 250 people, um, um, about 500 regular accounts, you know, buildings over 4,000 shows a year. So we'd really scaled the business in, in, in London and sort of built it into a go-to brand for the events industry. And, and you know, and also I think probably, you know, we feel that we've been really successful as a social enterprise and generated a lot of social impact. You know, well over 250 people with lived experience of homelessness um, and increasingly those people staying with us and, and, and having real career progression. And, you know, one of the goals is getting people into what we call mortgageable jobs, not just having people working for casually for sort of low wages. It's real career progression and people moving on. In fact, one, one of our ex-homeless crew, became one of our top 10 clients um which was an incredible which is an incredible journey so yeah the last uh, how many years 16 years now have been um have been quite a quite an experience <laughs> but we're still here and we're still smiling and we're still excited about it so you know we must be doing something right it's fantastic and then touching on covid then i suppose we have to we've done well to avoid it on the oh, podcast you but, but you guys have been <laughs> you guys are in a sector that's been really badly impacted by covid yeah. let's be let's be just blunt about that for a second yeah. so where where you're at now are we on the sort of you're on the cusp of getting back are we hoping to get shows up and running again so where are you at on on that front yeah absolutely i mean it was terrifying you know march 2020 we just walked we just watched our entire portfolio walk out the door the the, the sales pipeline went to zero in about 72 hours it was terrifying mm. um and you, your immediate thought as sort of director in in the business is like we've really got to look after everyone you know it's not it's not you know oh no we've lost all the money it's like okay we've got a lot of people's livelihoods on the line we need to really suddenly that became a very sharp focus for us mm. you know making sure that everyone in our ranks you know or whatever point of interaction was getting all the support that we could possibly offer them so that was the initial kind of focus but I don't think any of us really in the industry expected it to become as serious as it did um and it's been very difficult. I think the events industry, probably at least half of it's been wiped out completely in terms of capacity, suppliers, companies have just 
either decided it's not worth the fight or just haven't had the resources or the support to go and get it. And one of the problems for our sector is that the supply chain isn't really being recognised in any of the support. So uh, we've been very fortunate. We had a, a, grant from the Art, a grant from the Arts Council, which is a huge help. But we had also, like most businesses, been um, except you know, taking advantage of the furlough support, which has been a real lifeline for us. So we've managed to protect a lot of people in that respect by those mechanisms. But where we are now, I mean, we're all waiting for the 21st of June and let's hope that the roadmap continues. It's been successful so far. We know some of the trials in our sector have, have been deemed a success. So we, we just have to take things at face value. I think what makes it difficult is the constant U-turns and the, the sort of the uncertainty that's kind of really disrupted confidence and the events market or industry is very susceptible to confidence. Um, we, we know that a lot of, you know, probably um, corporate event um, owners are probably looking more at 2022. There's still a lot of concern about risk. Um, there's still a big gap in the insurance sort of side of things. So we're still very up in the air, but we are certainly looking like we're going to be very busy in July. So we're scratching our heads a little bit, figuring out how we're going to deal with a 500% increase in demand in about four weeks, wow. um, which will be a great problem to have for a change. Yeah, <laughs> after yeah after the last few yeah after the last year, yeah. that's a good problem, isn't it, to have? Yeah, and but, and you know, and it's I think as well, it's really it's really given us the time to sort of re-examine our social impact in the academy and one of the difficult things has been how do we continue impact without this these sales going on so um some interesting conversations going on um, um with uh housing associations um and other people about how we can actually try and create pathways using our expertise in the academy to create pathways into other industries so continuing to work with our network of charities and actually thinking about outcomes beyond a job with collection crew has been a really positive step for us in this time so um yeah a bit of a watch this space on that one hopefully we can start finding routes to employment for many more people than we can employ at connection crew which would be a great outcome for us so yes. yeah there's been some positive things to come out of it as well fab to hear um, and it also excellent segue on to my next question. So thank Ooh, you. For that. There you go. It's almost like <laughs> very <laughs> slick. It's like we planned it's like it. We planned it. Yeah. Should be. Should be. So you mentioned a couple of your connections, your networks, your referral partners, and conversations you've had along the way with other charity partners, um, and Jamie, your your co-founder that you spoke about early on. Um, is there any other pivotal people that you've had conversations with or meetings with along the way that you felt had a massive influence on where, where you've been able to take Connection Crew today? Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that we sort of thought a lot about when, when a lot about when we wrote the 10-year report was the fact that actually Connection Crew has only got here through collaboration and the um a lot of people that want to take risks together to kind of achieve this actually this is something that happened across a lot of pe people's shoulders and you mentioned paul grecian at gallagher who was brave enough to build a competitor in the market to do this you know colin glover the ceo at, um connection to martins who was i think probably fairly unusual in his ability to accept risks and and try and enter into some sort of commercial enterprise and and support that and and to you know 
gain the support of the trustees of the charity. You know, that's we can't underestimate that the importance of that support and the environment that Connection Crew was given to incubate and trip over its shoelaces in its early days and figure out what it was doing and drop the ball and and have that support network around us. I think, you know, moving forward into, into where we are now, I think across the board, and I think this is the same with, with probably most things, is that the relationships that we have that are beneficial are about the ones that we really invest in. It's never a passive thing. There's that sort of support doesn't just come to you. You've really got to engage with it. I think, you know, we've got to give a, a shout out to SEUK. They've been a huge support to us over the years. And, you know, in terms of supporting us with business development, opening up opportunities for us, making introductions to very big organizations that typically it'd be quite hard for us to reach as a small business. So that's been a very powerful component. Um, Another really important organization, which we definitely wouldn't have got anywhere without is Big Issue Invest. Um, we've worked with those, um, those guys over there since 2009. Um, <laughs> I remember our first uh, application to them. Um, we wanted to borrow some money to lead the charity and um, uh, we recognized we need to set up some of our own offices. We didn't really have any working capital out of our own cash flow. So we made an application to them and it was uh, Ed Seagull who's uh, now moved on. Um, uh, he's, he's working, running a bank now, I believe. Um, anyway, he looked at us suspiciously over the top of this paperwork and this spreadsheet. He eyed us narrowly through his eyes and put the paper down and says, I really like it. I really like you guys, but there's just no way I'm going to lend you the money. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay. <laughs> Bit of a hard stop. Um, and it was just, it was technical. Technically, we were a new, brand new CIC. We didn't have a year's accounts. It was just a, a hard stop and their T's and C's for their, for their board. So he said, come back in a year later. And at that, that time, we were proposing 10% um, growth. And they said it was too risky in the current market. This was 2009. We just had the huge mm. crash, loads of uncertainty. And we went back to them a year later and we'd grown the business 83% in a year. It nearly killed us. And, um, and he just, they just laughed and went, yeah, okay, we'll lend you the money. So, but since then, we've built a really rich relationship with them. And I don't mean financially, I mean, uh, in terms of support and culturally, you know, they really know the business intimately. They've taken the time and they've really invested, not just financially in us, but been able to support us and that's so important that those partners that you have when particularly investment isn't just isn't just a check it's not just a paycheck it's like we want input we want expertise we want guidance and they've fulfilled kind of board level type roles for us at certain points and that's been helpful we've been able to go and take commercial challenges into them and say look this is what we're facing what do you think obviously throwing some money would be a solution but actually there are other things that we can do are we missing it is that you know are there are other more creative ways that we can do so it's been really interesting working with them and 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 i think that intimacy of understanding about our business and how challenging the cash position can be and the need for sort of access both short and long-term lending and why they're different and why the narrative's different is just something we would never have got on the high street you know it's a really good social impact investor and they're very very committed to to the impact part of their investment um and for us that was just such a, a great fit you know so 
Um, and countless others. I'm probably anyone listening to this, I've already missed loads of people out that might get really upset that I haven't mentioned them. But um, <laughs> no, I think you know, it has been a connection crew as a result of a huge collaborative effort. You know, it isn't down to one person. And I think that's the reality of trying to break new ground and and you know creating social impact is is not an easy thing to do in business it's often we're 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 carving new paths and that takes courage and and a lot of people with broad shoulders that are willing to carry the risk and try and you know catch those things that, that are getting a bit out of line on the way and 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 try and push through and and and, and get us to uh, a place where we're we're winning by you know generating more social impact and it's risky you know it's not an easy road to travel so yeah um we're, we're very grateful to everyone that's been involved and again go and read the 10-year report because it's a that's a story told in the voices of all the people that have been a part of it so it's not it's not told in our voice telling telling everyone how great we are yeah i think we'll, we're going to stick that link in the podcast episode so people can find right. it actually because i think yeah, yeah that'd be really good uh, what's really, you're one of the first guests to touch on social investment and that um it's a, probably a conversation for another time, um, but it's really good to come just back and have that conversation another time. Bring that in because I think we're going to look for a set of organisations that have been through social investment and what it means, and and actually why you should consider it and how it you know how it realistically pans out for organisations or or social yeah. enterprises. So we'll come back to that. But thank you for bringing that into the into the frame. Um, this is our favourite question now, Charlie. And you're, I'm, I've got high hopes for you. You're going to you're going to have some classic <laughs> episodes for this. Um, around your favourite facepalm moment, and um, oh my god, you've got some stiff competition, but there's got to be some there's got to be some gold in here from the event side of stuff, surely. I mean, there's there's some stuff I'm re I really couldn't say publicly that's just completely wild that's happened. Um, uh, but <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do it after hours podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we may, maybe you know, later over a pint um but um <laughs> there's there were <laughs> there's a few there's definitely been a few um i think there was uh one very early on back in sort of 2006 2007 i spent in my early days i i decided it would be really good if i went out with the teams on the ground you know, I'd, I'd already been working for 10 years as a production manager. You know, I knew events inside out. I was like, okay, let's see what this crew is about. Let's see how they approach the environment. What, what, how far, what have we got to do to develop these guys into a polished outfit? We were working outside a hotel on Park Lane and, um, and really, really high-end conference. We're loading in through the glass doors in the front, through the front lobby of the hotel. So it's a very high-profile position. Presentation's really important. Communication's really important. We've got to, we've got to be seamless and super professional. And we weren't really that professional. And I, I arrived to this scene of chaos with uh, uh, the production manager running around shouting at anyone that wasn't listening or just anybody's moving. Two of the crew were offering one of the security guards out for a fight and the other one was picking fag butts off the floor. And lighting them, and I was just like, "Oh my god, we <laughs> none of these things are cool." <laughs> how much? How much do you pay for a night in a hotel there? <laughs> uh, probably about two thousand pounds at least for a budget room. It was just unbelievable. 
Um, and we've just come such a long way from that point. You know, we're just regarded as one of the best in the industry now. And it's, you know, testament to the crew and the entire team. Um, you know, there's been other face plant moments from clients. Um, there was one particular client that had a team building exercise at the O2, which was to create a giant representation of their logo um, using tiny cups of water filled with different colored dye. And it was a three day team building exercise. And then I had a rather panicked call from them going, um, have you got anyone that can come down and clear up water? And I said, what do you mean? He said, we've got 80,000 cups of water. We don't know what to do with them. So that was um, that was interesting. Turning up with four crew of mops and buckets and realizing very quickly that eighty thousand cups of water was nearly enough for a swimming pool, and that we weren't going to get it done this side of the next month. So, uh, yeah, but amazing yes. that, that that's what happens a lot in events where uh, I think you know inexperience and, and lack of planning comes out, and that's often where we get called. One of our clients described us as the fifth emergency service for the uh, for the events industry. I think take that that's all right I think you've done well I mean yeah you've done very well I mean you haven't knocked any gates off the prisons yet but no, we just don't talk about it when we do that's <laughs> <laughs> love it that cup story reminds me of a prank I used to play on my housemate at uni <laughs> <laughs> That is one of those. Just figured out where they were going to put thousands of liters of water when they'd finished. It was amazing. Wow, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, that is a face palm if I've ever heard one. So, Charlie, next next sort of topic that we'd like to, to cover is is going back to the network, I suppose, and who you've been working with. You mentioned a few different, you know, big players in the social enterprise sphere, and that distinction between, you know what you believe a social enterprise is and how that's seen as. Are there any particular organisations or individuals in the sector at the moment that you think are, are one to watch? Yeah, there's, uh, I think Change Please are doing some amazing stuff. That team's incredible. They're kind of, their entrance to the space, they bring this real commercial, um, like, prowess with them they've got a very very sharp end to how they operate and I really admire that and I think you know they're a really good example of a social enterprise because they're really running the business um, and they're really seeing that as the means to generate impact um, I think they're also very good at collaboration and they've got some very creative um sort of commercial thinking about new products, new services, new market offerings, new impact models, how they're training, how they're managing risk. Um, you know, they're sort of more and more operating globally. They're working with very big brands. And, you know, I think they've had a, a fairly sort of meteoric journey along the way. You know, I remember hearing about this social enterprise that was adopting a sort of big issue type model, selling coffee for street vendors. and they've now taken that concept and, and just run it all the way through the supply chain and, and are doing, making amazing collaborations. Um, so, you know, definitely change, please go and check those guys out. If you haven't already, um, lots of inspiration. Um, and I think that sort of creativity is really valuable because it can often, you know, I, I enjoy sort of seeing what other people are doing because it can kind of give you ideas as well and give you points of reflection. I think, Oh, actually, maybe we could do something like that, you know? Um, and I think 
sharing stories, ideas, experiences is a really powerful way for social enterprises to progress and learn. That's certainly how we 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 did it. We we had people around us that were good enough to share perspective and and uh, and, and ideas. Other other organisations that I think are doing really good stuff. Um, um, I think that um, bike works always impressed me. Um, another social enterprise, very well known. I think they're just highly adaptive. Mm. They're really what impresses me is that they're they're really able to take the context of their their commercial model and apply it to lots of different scenarios. And they're very adaptable. Um, not sure whether Jim would see it that way, but it's certainly externally that's that's how it uh, how it. Um, comes across and I you know we've collaborated with them on a, on a number of times over, over the years on various projects and they sort of supported elements of our academy program and um, they're always very open to partnership and I think that's one of their strengths definitely um, um, and yeah I, I, I'm probably going to miss loads of people out I'm just gonna, if I'm not careful I'm just going to sit here <laughs> reading names off of, of all my favourite enterprises but I, know, you can, I think you the other thing is that <laughs> it could, but I think there's different models and different approaches. And I think, you know, that for me, what, what really defines a social enterprise is that it is really a business. It's really, really a business that is, that is delivering a proper product or, or service and isn't doing that as a, as a sort of bifunction or a secondary activity to a social goal. And it's not that the social goal is secondary to the commercial, but there are organizations that are working with vulnerable people and they're using the commercial activity as something to focus impact around and that's fine but i think sometimes that sort of drifts into the, the sort of role of community groups and away from the role of a really sharp focused business you know and i think good good social enterprises have great commercial acumen and and products and services at the heart and i think if we're gonna develop the space and and grow more social enterprises we have to make sure that we continue to put quality first um you know people should be working with social enterprises because it's the best product in the market you know um and i think increasingly large business and you know big business and, you know, multinationals corporations are beginning to think in terms of that triple bottom line you know, it's about economics and sustainability. It's about being here in 50 years' time. And if we're not thinking about communities, if we're not thinking about vulnerable people, we're just, we're not going to make it. You know, we've got, we've got to start thinking. I think, you know, thought leadership in, in business development is, is already thinking that social enterprise, if you're not thinking social impact, you're, you know, that's, that's really the forward-facing business model. Um, mm. So I think, you know, social enterprises, um, um, it's really important that we continue to aim to be at the top of our markets. You know, that's where we're going to be able to demonstrate that, you know, I look forward to a day when social impact becomes a point of competition between companies, that consumers and clients are looking for who's got the best impact. And I think that's when we'll start motivating companies that aren't adopting social impact practices to kind of come and join us rather than not just try and encourage all new businesses to be social enterprises, but what about the existing ones? Mm. You know, and I think, you know, creating competition in that space is going to be really, really powerful in the future. I think it's a, you've raised a really valuable point and I think it's coming. I'm optimistic about the future in terms of businesses becoming more socially minded and the B Corp movement and that 
stuff coming through. Um, I am at this point in time <laughs> sort of optimistic about actually some of the big, you know, some of the big companies are talking social value and social impact now. You know, almost like well, profits, profit, yeah, great. What what else are you doing with it? And I think that's becoming more mainstream, which I think is a is a good a good thing. Um, you know, there's still going to be a place for social enterprises, of course, but it's you know that social value bit is is moving out i think more mainstream direction which is which is good we've got a few i've got loads of other questions i could ask you charlie but you've answered so many and you've covered so much ground in your responses um no it's fantastic no it's really good and um also conscious of time you've got a business to get back up and running so um right it's good i'm I'm not on the tools getting dirty this is much better this is the upgrade i'm I'm good with this yeah but they're all (laughs) watching you sat in the van thinking when's he going to get out and do some work (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah murphy have you got any other questions yeah i suppose we've, we've touched a bit on the sort of commercial model and um you know the need for it to be a quality business and the social impact fits into that I suppose I'd like to bring it back to the social impact a bit in terms of working with your your members, your trainees and that journey that they go on. You've got these 20 referral partners at the moment that you're working with. What's the journey for someone who's coming into working with Connection Crew? Yeah, so we realised early on that we're not experts in dealing with the complex challenges of, of supporting someone who's been homeless we're experts in events that's what we know how to build and we know how to train that skill so the role of the our charity partners is really important because they've got to support provide the support that's needed to get someone through our process so we have a service level agreement with them very clearly defined kind of roles and definitions so everyone's expectations are really clear um on and our integration and our sort of our induction isn't just the candidates on the academy program it's their support work as well so we'll take their support workers we'll go and take them out onto job sites and show them what we actually do so they really understand what it's like to see 30 crew on the back of a truck at two o'clock in the morning we don't take them out but you get the idea (laughs) um and so then they will come for um a kind of a tryout session i guess you could say so they just come along for the day we talk to them about what the job is um we get some bits of staging which are really heavy weigh about 90 kilos and see if they can lift it um that often separates that sort of filters a few people out <laughs> including me um, um and uh yeah and because it's a bit of an abstract concept crew if you don't know what it is it's quite hard to decide if you want to do it or not so we try and let people try it on for size a little bit get a feel mm. for it meet some of our crew our crew chiefs and duty managers do the sort of training and, and meet new candidates and we try and give them a bit of exposure to the team and what we like to sort of work with. Um, but then take that away and they can think about whether this is for them or not, because I think that's really important. One thing I don't like is the idea that people should be grateful for any opportunity that's thrown at them. I, I don't agree with yeah. that. I think people have the right to choice, you know, and, and what we do isn't for everyone, you know. Mm. Not everyone is into the idea of lifting 40 tons of equipment in two hours into a venue on your shoulders. Like not many people are up for that, you know, whereas some people are really excited about that. Those are the people we want, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's important we find that good fit, but we've got to, we've got to give people the opportunity to try. Then we invite the, if they, if they want to come in and join, they apply then to join the academy and they have to come along for an interview and the charity helps them prepare for that interview. And we actually interview them 
then if um, if they still want to do it, and you know by that stage, if, if unless they've done something really silly, then we, we're going to offer them place on the academy, and uh, and then they accept and they come and join that, and it's uh, it's sort of over three weeks, and we cover a number of modules, and we've really developed it over the years. It used to be about training people to go onto event sites, but now it's become a much broader focus on preparation for the workplace. So actually the kind of modules of training we're doing are, are um, communication, personal organization, sort of active listening, um, health and well-being, you know, um, sort of emotional health and well-being. Um, you know, emotional maturity is a really important part of how we operate on site. It's a really high pressure environment. Mm. We've got to be able to support each other. So we, we need to sort of train some of those qualities into people. We need to not assume that everyone knows how to look after themselves. And I think people um, that have been homeless, particularly in younger groups that we work with, may not have had experience of, of, of being in the workplace. So we can't, you know, I think have the skill of having a job is also often overlooked. Mm. Um, so we try and get into that. You know, we work with Barclays. They deliver um, some of our digital skills uh, elements for them. So we send them off to Canary Wharf to go into the big shiny tower and spend uh, an afternoon with Barclays showing them how to, you know, use the diary, sync the diary, um, you know, look at a spreadsheet, stuff that I think a lot of people might take for granted, but if you've not been, had a great deal of access to those tools, it might be difficult for you to, to organize. And, and, you know, we've got a, we do pinpoint logistics. If, if you, if you're booked to be somewhere at nine o'clock, you have to be there at 8.45. Otherwise it's, it's a sit, there's a zero margin of error for us. We're doing very, very tight, specific sort of stuff. So the stakes are high and we have to prepare people for that. So they do a very broad range of stuff. Bike Works also do a, um, a session for us on maintenance and that helps us just assess people's ability to take instructions in, in unfamiliar environments and through sort of maybe tasks that they find complicated. So we do a range of activity. Then once they've done all that, um, if they turn up and they, they pay attention, they do all those sorts of things, then they graduate from our academy and what we guarantee to everyone who graduates is that they will get an interview for an actual job. So not just an introduction to another employer or just, yeah, you can apply to us or whatever. They really get an interview because that's really important. You know, I, I, we don't want to be in a position where we're sort of creating fake opportunities. And mm -hmm. certainly I, we have a real we don't like the idea of sort of work trials and that kind of stuff. We want meaningful outcomes that are going to lead to real job opportunities because that's the goal. And, and being cynical, it'd be quite easy for us to, you know, put 200 people a year through this program, but we, there wouldn't be any jobs at the end of it. So actually we're just really misleading people and mismanaging expectations. So they get an interview. If we think people are right for connection crew and they really want to come and apply for us, we then invite them to apply for a job at connection crew because actually what this isn't is a shoe in to our business. Yeah. It's really important that they go through the same process as every single other person on site. And that is another sort of three days of, of interview and preparation and training that we really get into some of the more detailed work. But so far, anyone that's applied to us um, we have 100% of those people have, have been successful in the interview process and, 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 and have ended up on site working as part of our team. So that's the kind of the full process. Um, I think there's some gaps in it, though. There's still room for improvement. We have nowhere near enough women applying. If there's any women listening that want to crew, please, please, please come and apply to work for us. We're really 
focusing in the future about how we support women with lived experience because we've got um, probably one of the highest proportions of women working for us. It's around uh, 18% at the moment. We need to get that much higher. Um, we're unusually high in the industry because we've been trying to actively recruit women into it. And there's a really important reason for that in social impact. I think, um, you know, I don't want to sort of generalize, but unfortunately it's largely the case that I think a lot of women who have been homeless have had a very different experience to a lot of men. Like there's female rough sleepers are much less common than male rough sleepers. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that women aren't experiencing homelessness. And I think where women have been vulnerable, unfortunately, in very damaging sort of relationships with men, it's quite unrealistic for us to expect someone with that lived experience to come into a heavily male environment and be successful. What we need is strong female role models and leadership. And that's what's so important to us so that we've got a very um, strong female presence in our workforce so that women feel empowered to come and, and, and supported to come into our workforce to, uh, and do that. And we're, we're, um, <laughs> we're very pro, um, we're very uh, proactive about that we had one awful client, who shall remain unnamed, who rang us up once, having had a couple of women on a team and said, you know, awful comments like, you know, it's great, but next time just send some couple of lads all up for the girls. And I went, no, right, really? And we have a list in the office of the all-girl clients. So they go on that list. And uh, the next time that client called for, we sent them a 100% female team. <laughs> Love it. You know, yeah. and then as part of our, you know, our service, we ring them up for feedback regularly. And so, so how was the team? And they are forced to acknowledge that the girls were probably a lot better than the boys. <laughs> I love that. That is Ooh. fantastic. Oh, Charlie, it's been great chatting to you and having you on. Um, we could probably spe- we could probably do another hour easily, but um, uh, yeah, no, it's just really good. You brought such good insight as well. Um, and shared so openly it's been great actually um so i guess just in closing really we really wish you well over the next couple of months why you why you go from naught to 500 percent <laughs> event wise um but I, I really hope that happens for you because it sounds like you're doing great work so um yeah we wish you the best of luck with that yeah definitely let us know where we can sort of share and support and and people can come and see your social impact on the website how do we find you Yep, so um, go to our website, connectioncrew.co.uk. Um, check out our blog. Most of our news is happening on there. Updates, news stories, um, uh, job opportunities, announcements we're making. Sort of that's our sort of main live feed. Um, Instagram, Facebook, such as out there. Um, I'll send you the link to the 10-year document, our 10-year uh, social impact report. Um, uh, I think if anyone's interested in our history, you'll find all the gory details in that. So, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure we send you the details for that. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. And, um, yeah, great to hear more about what you've done. And we'll we'll share your details online. All right, great. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a real thank, pleasure. Thanks, Bye. Charlie. Take care. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Please subscribe for more episodes or follow us on Twitter at thismuch underscore we know or email us at thismuchweknow at homelesslink.org.uk.